Welcome to Public Safety Talk Radio, the podcast for all of our heroes in public safety, including law enforcement professionals, firefighters, EMTs, corrections officers, healthcare workers, and more. This show is produced by the POCUA and is founded upon its Soundness Initiative. This episode is also sponsored by the POCUA, a consortium of financial institutions serving law enforcement, as well as other first responders and public safety professionals. Always remember, if you aren't banking with a POCUA credit union, you're just working with an institution that just so happens to serve public safety professionals, and you deserve better. Hi, I'm Ken Bader, your host for Public Safety Talk Radio, and I have another great guest. His name is Joe Devlin, and I want to tell you just a little bit about him. He is a respected behavioral health expert. More than 20 years of experience in the specialty of drug and alcohol recovery and treatment. Joe's professional experience includes clinical director, interventionist, professor, facility director, easy for me to say, addiction counselor, counseling supervisor, case manager, care manager, treatment facilities auditor, steward of county and state funding for treatment facilities, utilization reviewer, and family group decision-making facilitator in Partridge in a Pear Tree. I've literally got three more paragraphs here. I could talk about how great Joe is, and most importantly, the expertise that he's going to bring to the show. But Joe, welcome to the show. Let's talk. Ken, thanks so much for having me on the show today. This is just, it's a privilege and I'm looking forward to, to chatting with you today. My pleasure. My pleasure. I was looking forward to, to having you on the show all week. Um, yeah, I, I know that you bring a lot of good insight, um, coupled with the unfortunate fact that I know that a lot of our brothers and sisters in public safety, whether they be firefighters, nurses, law enforcement, corrections officers, and so forth, do have a tendency to deal with this problem. So I, I definitely want to get to your story as well as some tips and ideas of, of what uh, they and families could do in that situation. But the number one question I have for you right now, and those that are on the video will see this, um, those that are on the audio, I'll explain that there is a big brick wall behind Joe. And I, I just want to make sure that we're not, you know, in a sequel to the ring or anything. Nobody dropped you down a well or anything like that, did they? Not, not currently, but I've definitely been in many wells and I do know the way out. So if you need some directions, I'll help you out. There you go. All right. I, I, liked, I liked that answer. You know, I said I wasn't going to throw you a curveball and I threw you a curveball. So you don't have any like uh, fingernails or anything hanging from those bricks. You can get out of there. No problem. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. Awesome. Awesome. I'm sure I'll have more bad jokes later on, uh, but <laughs> we'll try to keep them to a minimum. But first and foremost, you know, I, I invited you to the show because of your expertise with addiction. Uh, but in that process, I found out that you're also a former EMT. Uh, so tell our first responder listeners out there your experience in that role. Sure. Uh, absolutely. I, uh, you know, it was something that kind of just came about. I had uh, some, some friends who had a really, you know, one of my best friends, he was riding for uh, an ambulance and he was like, Hey, you know, you should really check this out. This is a lot of fun. And so I just kind of, just kind of would listen to his stories, talk about it. And it was enough for me to say, Hey, listen, let me pursue getting my EMT so that I could, could, could ride on the ambulance. And it was voluntary. It was strictly voluntary. Dude did it for about two years. 
and the only time we ever rode was at night and we only wanted to do the night shift because um you know we were we were you know we were we were younger we were in our early 20s and i just definitely we enjoyed the the excitement that would happen at night that's interesting <laughs> i literally um on right before uh we had a chance to talk here um, I was listening to another podcast called Firefighter Deconstructed, um, which was, I, I literally just started listening to it because I like to listen to other shows in this kind of genre and hear what, what they're doing. Um, a great show, at least the first episode that I listened to. And one of the things that, that the first guest had mentioned, who was also an EMT, um, said that she had worked for a, a very large department and then went and worked night shift and saw a lot of things and everything and then went to kind of more of a rural department. And basically, my words, not her, she said she was bored. <laughs> like she, need, she needed more than just that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. I, and I think that's why we did it. We actually, I was, uh, it was in Union, New Jersey, a place called Coleman's okay. and uh, Union's kind of what it's like a borderline where you have some suburbs, but you also kind of have some action going on there. And um, so, yeah, I mean, and, and I, I love the guys that I rode with, rode with the same guys all the time. Uh, one of my buddies, he was a paramedic. So really, I, I often say is like, I just kind of, I, I kind of, I stood back and I carried everybody's baggage. You know, those guys did the real work <laughs> yeah. and, and they just kind of let me come along for the ride. So. Can I, can I, can I take that defibrillator and put it back in the ambulance for you now that the real work is done or I'll try, I'll try not to electrocute myself on the way back. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. I'm, uh, I'm just, I'm just surprised that I was able to say defibrillator. I see. I can't even say it now. I, uh, I got, I got it once. It. And yeah. Now I messed it up. So anyway, I'm not even going to edit that out. So my audience can know what an idiot I could be sometimes. Uh, but getting into, uh, a serious subject, you know, unfortunately, a, a number of first responders, um, even nurses and other ER personnel, I, I know vicariously um, fall victim to addiction for, for one reason or another. Um, and, and you've had your own struggle with addiction, which is, which is one of the reasons why you've, you've built this expertise. Can you share a little bit of, of your journey with addiction with us? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Um, you know, I, I was, uh, you know, I mean, I was, a, I, I'll call myself an addict, you know, I was an addict before I became an EMT. Um, you know, for me, there was a period of time in my life where, you know, partying was fun. I enjoyed it. We had a good time, was out celebrating with people, having fun. And then it just, you know, it just got to a point where it wasn't fun anymore. And, you know, it was getting myself in, uh, in trouble and still trying to figure all of that out. And, um, you know, some of the stuff I knew, some of the stuff I didn't know, like that I had a problem. Uh, for me, really, the, the, first, the first one, like I, I grew up thinking that like blacking out was, was getting drunk. Mm -hmm. So uh, for anybody out there, if you're blacking out, now that's not getting drunk. Like don't, you know, that's bad. It's, it's usually a good sign that you're, you probably, you might have what I have. And um, 
so really what happened to me was I was, I was out. I mean, we were kind of, you know, partying on the weekends and was a, there was a night where I was at a party, uh, was able to kind of get a lot of the booze for everybody and just got really hammered and was, was, was going home. I don't really remember, but the police picked me up and I got involved with some of the, you know, the, like at that point in time, they say, hey, listen, you know, you can either go this route of treatment or, we're, you know, we're going to come to court and we're going to do those things. So I chose the the treatment center route. So at the age of 15, I went to my, my first treatment center. And with that, it, um, it also introduced me to the 12 step program. So, and I say is, you know, things really turned even at that young age, I, I noticed a lot of things that um, I started learning a little bit more about who I was. I'm, I'm one of seven children. So there's, there's sometimes maybe you don't learn as much about yourself. You know, you kind of, you have, you, you're able to rely on a lot of other people to do things. And, and sometimes you don't really get to know yourself. Um, you know, cause one of the fun things about me is the fact that like, I don't care if you call me Joseph, Joe, Joey, it doesn't really matter because well, I'm number five in my house. So like if my dad was trying to correct us, he would just go through the list until he got to your name. And then that's the way it was. <laughs> and, and the same thing would happen when I was in school, you know, because by the time, you know, a teacher would call me and I correct him maybe the first couple of weeks, you know, but then it was like, it doesn't matter, you know, call me my, my brother's name, John, Jim, I'm going to, I'm going to respond because you're doing your best here. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, so, you know, but some of that, you know, just, you just don't know that much about yourself. So, you know, I stayed sober for actually 45 days, you know, mm -hmm. and, and I, I felt better, you know, some of the cloudiness left and all that kind of stuff, but I just wasn't ready to give up. Like, I was like, look, I can't live the rest of my life, not drinking, not partying. What's that going to look like? I mean, I'm too young for this. Yeah. And so I just kind of continued on that path. And, you know, I think at 18, I tried to, you know, kind of get sober a little bit, but that didn't really last that long. Um, I took to heart what my uncle said because I was kind of really spinning my wheels and he said hey man find a job that you love to do and you'll never work a day in your life so I became a bartender and <laughs> that's that's <great. laughs> as 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 an admitted alcoholic that sounds like a great job for an alcoholic yeah good job Joe <laughs> absolutely absolutely so I was you know I mean I was on fire for it like I loved it um it afforded me you know some afforded me income afforded me to party allowed me to do the EMT one night a week like because there's such a flexibility in all that stuff and uh but however the unfortunate thing is I mean I you know I, I started bartending when I was age of 20 and it was like for the next 15 years I was bartending and, and um but when you party the way I party yeah. you most certainly have to work and so it was like, it was working at that bartending job and it was working, keeping up with my addiction and, and what I was doing. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it, it's, it's one of those things where it says, hey, listen, you know, I, I, maybe I would have heard something differently from someone. Um, I don't know. I, I really don't know. I don't know what it actually took, but all I know is that like I kept going, um, even though, you know, some seeds were planted along the way, which I'm really grateful for because when I finally decided to get sober, some of the very things that I learned when I was 15 came to fruition. Mm -hmm. So it's like, I never knew what was going to be planted. And, you know, I used to say, oh, hey, hey, man, there are a bunch of whining maggots. I ain't going back there, you know? <laughs> um, and today, you know, like that was part of my story and how I got sober was, was, was through the use of the 12 steps. And I'm glad I knew it had existed yeah. because, um, you know, without it, I, you know, that definitely, I mean, I definitely would be dead at this point. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. A uh, couple of things. Yeah. I 
don't often talk about it. I'm not shy about talking about it, but uh, I'm an alcoholic and I'm actively in uh, AA. And uh, one of the things that um, truly made me realize that I had a problem uh, because I knew, you know, one of, one of the jokes, and you've probably heard this before, and I think a lot of us addicts, we use humor to, yeah. to, to help uh, maybe not repair us, but to kind of understand and, and heal a little bit because like, yeah. wow, you know, you, you, you were, you woke up in an alley. I woke up in a drunk tank. And, you know, so yep. you know, it's that type of thing that only another addict would understand. But yes. kind of the line is, uh, which I identify with completely is, you know, when I was, when I was started drinking, it was fun. You know, I had a lot of fun times. Yeah. You know, I got a lot of fun stories and then it became fun with problems and then at some point it just became problems yeah. <laughs> and, and, yeah. one of, and one of those problems was blackouts uh mm-hmm. where i couldn't remember you know what i did what happened the night before i'm looking for wallets keys receipts yeah. trying to piece together the the evening um and when uh i got into aa you know i knew something was wrong but i tried to think to myself or talk myself into all right i got a problem but maybe it's not alcohol maybe it's something Mm -hmm. else so i took that test and one of the things it said on that test i remember was almost exactly what you just said which is you do you have do you black out when you get drunk and and basically it said this is a pretty good sign that you're an alcoholic i'm like oh man i don't even want to answer these other questions so you know i i think that you know while some of these folks you know first responders and, and other public safety professionals you know might be thinking i'm okay but i think that that blackout um that 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 part of your addiction is a real real clue to you know this isn't normal this isn't what normal people do yeah no absolutely and i and i think ken I mean, it's such a great point and i think that sometimes it happens almost in bits and pieces too like you know like if you early on sometimes it was like you know somebody would mention hey do you remember you know doing this and maybe that's at the 11 or 12 or the one to two hour you know and yeah. you're like no nah, i don't really remember seeing them come in but you remember everything else from yeah. the night you know, like, so it's like, it's almost like it starts close. It's, 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 it starts that closing that gap. So it starts a little bit at a time. And then, you know, I mean, if you've ever, you know, looked at your shades, you know, out of your house, kind of seeing if your car is there in the morning. Yeah. Warning <laughs> sign, you know, there's probably a problem there. Yeah. Now a word from our sponsor, the police officers credit union association. The POCUA can suggest a credit union that serves public safety professionals in practically every state in the country. One state we definitely have covered is New York. The finest federal credit union is the only financial institution in New York State chartered specifically to serve the needs of all law enforcement personnel, uniform and civilian, retirees, and all family members. Chartered in 2015, the finest federal credit union evolved from the vision of a group of retired NYPD officers. They believe their fellow officers should receive the best financial services in the marketplace services that are tailored to the special needs of our law enforcement community and affiliated departments. For more information about the Finest Federal Credit Union, go to www.thefinestfcu.org or call 646-661-1886. To find an institution to serve you in any of the other 49 states, go to www.policecreditunions.com. And always remember, 
if you aren't banking with a POCOA credit union, you're just working with an institution that just so happens to serve public safety professionals and you deserve better. Uh, I know from um, reading a little bit about your story that you were in treatment eight times before it, it really stuck. Uh, at least that's kind of how I understood it. Um, and I, I know a lot of folks, you know, some, yeah, it takes two, three, four times. Um, for me, fortunately, it, it took once. I, I got into AA and it's working for me today. Tomorrow, maybe not, but I'll worry about tomorrow, tomorrow. Today, I, I can honestly say it's working for me and it's my first time in. So is there any inclination as to why for some people it, it takes the first time and others it takes multiple times? Is it, you know, the quality of the treatment? Is it the person? is a combination thereof give us give us some insight into that yeah ken that i think i think you kind of covered it because i think it does have a, a lot to do with that um i will say i i work with a lot of first time what we call first time winners right folks mm -hmm. who go in and they do it and boom you know and 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 they're, they're they stay sober for the long haul and but you really hit on everything i mean it, it, you know i think the most common one that we always hear is oh is the person ready you know yeah. well you know i know a guy who who got sober just because he wanted a cup of coffee, right? And the only only place that he could go was he went to AA and have anything. Yeah. So and he wanted a warm place and he got a cup of coffee and the guy stayed sober. So I don't think he was really ready. Like I don't think that like his yeah. determination was there. But um, you know, so so anything can really happen with that. But and and you know, sometimes it's it is the it is the treatment facility in which they go to. I I, I do firmly believe in that. Um, but I also think is that like we want to think about it is that like. Like sometimes it's it's we're not giving ourselves enough chance to 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 get sober. And by meaning by that is I think a lot of so many times, you know, families that I'm working with, you know, they, they go to hey, listen, they went to treatment, so they're gonna be better. Well, what yeah. did you do? You went away for 14 days or, you know, I mean, because yeah. it used to be you could do 28 and 30 days. So if you get that now, I mean, that is just a miracle that that's actually happening. So you get 14 days and then maybe you do a couple outpatient, maybe you do that for 30 days or something. And, and the guy who's, you know, usually like a, the person who's kind of going through the treatment, they don't want to go through the treatment anymore. You know, they want to go do so. Hey, listen, I got this. I stopped. I stopped putting the substance in my body. I feel better. Their mind is clearer after 30 days. That haze lifts um, that, you know, I mean, honestly, like, so if you have a substance abuse problem, you know when that haze lifts and you're like, whoa, wait a second. You start seeing colors a little bit brighter. Everything doesn't feel as smoky. Things seem to be a little bit larger. It's, it's just, and so you go, hey, I'm good to go. And you never gave yourself that chance to really make those other changes because part of this disease is the, the neural pathways that have been created in the brain. Not only just the genetics and we can go into the sociocultural stuff, but just from that same thing of just creating some new neural pathways in our brains. And if we're not working on that, I, I think that's it's an injustice to those who are going to treatment centers. So we need to get yeah. them connected and going. I, you know, I completely agree with you on that, Joe. Um, first off, I'm really pissed that you can't get coffee at AA meetings anymore because <laughs> of COVID-19. Yeah, I, I used to, I used to, you know, even, even in the meetings, because you know as well as I do, you know, some are great meetings. You really get something out of it. Others, you know, just, eh, just this one just didn't work for me, you know, but at least I got a cup of coffee. Now I don't even get coffee. And the um, best cup of coffee because they're nice and strong. 
Yeah. No <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Everybody, all first responders out there, man. You know, even if, even if you don't think you have a problem, if you wanted a, like a real strong cup of coffee for that midnight shift or going on the way to the ER, yep. go to a meeting, you know, get some coffee and then you're, you're good to go. Uh, but you can't, you can't do that anymore. There's no, there's no freaking coffee. Um, but back, <laughs> but back to something actually important. Um, yeah, I, I truly believe that you know, addiction, whether it's alcohol or drugs or sex or, yeah. um, you know, sniffing glue or whatever it is, gambling, you know, whatever yeah. it is that you're going to do, um, that there's a, both a physical and a mental component. Uh, mm -hmm. because I know that after about, you know, 30, 40 days of being sober, physically, I felt pretty damn good i'm like hey you know this is this is nice i can get up and not have to take four aspirin you know i can actually feel like i could i could be productive uh yeah. i got a good night's sleep um you know i don't have to pop you know two zantec anymore because you know i drank two bottles of red wine or you know whatever right. it is you know, physically but yeah. but mentally you know i gotta tell you at least for me i was angry as hell uh, because I, I think what some people don't realize is just because you're physically sober, you know, all these things that kind of fed your addiction, you know, haven't gone away. You know, all those things that's just, oh, you know, it, and yeah, I remember, you know, a firefighter even saying once um, at one of the AA meetings that before he got an AA, he would tell his, his colleagues, hey, you know what, if you saw what I saw, you'd yep. be drinking the way that I drink. Absolutely. And, and the, the fact that he's physically sober doesn't take all those things away. So, yeah. so, so talk a little bit more, maybe even from a first responder standpoint, you know, that, that mental aspect, okay, you're feeling good physically sober, but then, you know, now it's time to deal with that mental aspect of it. You know, what, what really needs to happen there? Sure. No. Oh, man, it's such a great point. I mean, and, you know, like I said, look, we, we wrote at night, right? And there were certain things that really didn't bother me, you know, like, and it was one thing I learned about myself. And I think anybody who's a first responder, you're, you're wired a certain way that the things that normal people, uh, w w the things that you see would destroy a normal person. I mean, kind of much like, you know, right, those guys in recovery, we joke about these things about where we woke up and what the hell we were doing. Whereas if we share it with other people, they're like, you're freaking nuts. What are you talking yeah. about? <laughs> so, so you get, you know, as a first responder, like I, I remember, you know, like I can remember it was early morning, you know, a tractor trailer running over this, this guy in his car and him just being all mangled and, and blood squirting out of him and, you know, and all that kind of stuff. That didn't really bother me. That one didn't bother me all that much, you know, but then there was another one where I got a call and, you know, we're going to this uh, hotel late at night and, you know, we get to the hotel room, the door is open. We're looking around. It's just me and my buddy, you know, we're, we're just riding solo, no cops. And we're like, okay, what's going on? Don't find anybody in the room. And then we're following this trail of blood outside around the sidewalk, out to the front behind these cars. You know, we finally get to him and we see the guy bleeding out. So now we got to work on him. Yeah. That one kind of stuck with me a little bit. And I couldn't say which one was worse or why did yeah. it work that way. And so whatever that is, it's, it's, that's kind of that part of that, that, that mental thing that you, that you talk about to, 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 to address, like, it's okay that, that, that one bothered you. And one of them might've sound worse to somebody, or maybe it doesn't sound bad to you at all, right? You have your own thing that you were going through. So it's like, okay, how do I work on that? Because before then, 
it was drinking anyways, right? So it just yeah. gave me another excuse. Of, hey, man, that was a great night. We saved this guy or, you know, hey, did you see that guy? And boom, 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 boom. And we're drinking through the night. And then we go on. But then I wake up with it the next morning. And then it, something just goes, Zzz. it just sits inside of me. Yeah. And if that's never addressed up here, when I get sober, that's the type of stuff that starts kind of coming in and coming out, coming in and coming out. And so it's like, okay, how do I work on that? And who can I work on that with? Mm -hmm. um, you know, trauma-informed care is one thing that I, I spent over a year kind of working with a group of folks about that. And it, it is, um, it's real. And, and it's, you know, we've, uh, to tell you the truth, everybody in the world has experienced some level of trauma. Yeah. And so it's like, it, so whatever that point is, let's help you to get to the place where, you, you know, it's not saying you ever have to forget about it, but the fact that it would get you to a place where you're, you're safe moving forward. And so that if that thought comes up, you know how to kind of deal with that. Yeah. What, what might be your number one suggestion for um, any of our public safety professionals out there? Cause these are strong people. I mean, you know, oh, you yeah. can't, you can't, you can't freaking work in an ER room or uh, be, you know, uh, walk at a beat or, you know, be running into a burning building without being a tough person, you know, emotionally, physically, you know, psychologically. And I've seen some folks where, yeah, they'll take like, like you mentioned, 30 days, 45 days and get physically sober and say, you know, mm -hmm. I just need to get away from this. But then they're dealing with the mental issues that make them want to open the bottle again or go to their buddy's bar and, and have a few or whatever that yeah. is. What, what is your suggestion when somebody's at that point, you know, what can they do to help themselves mentally? Uh, no, just again, great point. And because, and 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 to and to kind of look at it this way, it's it's not that that's not a weakness that you know you went like you said you're very very strong. First responders love them. Got a lot of friends who you know are still first responders. They're amazing people. Hats off. We should do a heck of a lot more for them. And um, so you're so strong, right? That it's almost viewed as a weakness to not drink. Yeah. Or or you know, and and it's like oh okay. But remember, like the, the drinking or the drugging, whatever it is, that's, remember, that's your solution. So it's not your problem. It's your, it's your solution mm -hmm. to things. So kind of looking at it that way, kind of, let's like kind of flip the script there a little bit. And then the next thing is, is, okay, so is it, is it okay for me to talk to other people about this? And that's also a hard thing, right? Because we're supposed yeah. to be strong and the world teaches us we're, you know, we're supposed to handle as much as we can by ourselves. And, and, but we're really strongest when we're working with other people. It's mm -hmm. the very reason why people are first responders is because they love to help people, right? They're always there. Like that's their heart. That's, that's, that's where they're at. However, it's, it's accepting the helper and, and from other people is, a really huge uh, barrier to, to, to get over. So it's, it's beginning by, by, by talking with somebody, I think is one of the, the beginning, you know, starting points. And there's different treatments out there and there's different strategies out there that you can do. And I think that it really depends upon who you are to kind of look at them, uh, you know, to kind of pick out which one is best for you. But first off, just by beginning, just to speak with somebody, I think is yeah. to, is to letting somebody in to know a little bit about you because you're, you're so good at taking care of everybody else. Yeah. Yeah. Great point. And um, this is a, a good time just to mention, I mentioned this on the show a couple of other times, but for 
um, any first responders, healthcare workers that just need to talk to somebody and they want to talk to somebody anonymously. One of our partners at the POCUA is uh, Serve and Protect out of Tennessee. They've got people 24 seven that are licensed that uh, some of them are former first responders that you could just talk to. So you don't, you don't feel like you yeah. want to talk to your partner. You don't want to talk to your boss superior and get labeled or whatever, whatever your situation, you could talk to somebody uh, for free. You know, that, that'll, that'll just listen sometimes. And sometimes that's all you need. Yep. And, and I think that's a, that is a great point like that. I love that service. You know, because it's just like, okay, let me, you know, so it's a good, it's a good, you know, it's a good try. You know what I mean? Just say, hey, listen, this has been bothering me. So you just you'd speak to him and that's it. So you don't have to talk to anybody within your circle, shall we say, right? Yeah. Um, I, but I would really encourage folks to, on top of that is start out there, right? Get a feel yeah. for that. The next one is, I mean, if you're having, it's, it's kind of like, if you're having a recurring dream or something, or you know something that's kind of coming up on you, look, that might be the only thing you need to address is how to kind of work through what, what that is, is essentially it's PTSD. Okay. Uh -huh. So it's, it's keep coming back. So there's, there's easy strategies out there. I mean, there's everything from EMDR to progressive counting that can just deal with that one instant. And you will see that when you address that, that could be the only thing that you needed to unlock uh -huh. and then move on from, and then go, you know, it just doesn't have to be, you know, you know, well, I think a lot of times people think that they go into counseling or therapy, that it's, it's going to be the next 40 years of my life and I ain't doing it, you know, <laughs> sometimes it can move that quickly. Yeah. Yeah. And um, not being a public safety professional, especially in, in this difficult time, I wouldn't completely understand it, but I would think that, you know, whether you're a police officer getting, you know, feces thrown at you during a riot or an ER nurse uh, or ER professional having to deal with COVID-19 or, yeah. you know, firefighters, you know, I, I remember talking to a firefighter with COVID-19 in New York when it was at the height of the pandemic. And he was saying, this is a shit show out here. You know, I mean, yeah. you know, I'm, I, this is like nothing else I've ever dealt with. Yeah, I, I think that the times that we're in now, maybe maybe um ignorant to this, but I, I think that the times that we're in now lends itself to addiction, whether it be alcoholism, drugs, anything than yeah. than any other time for public safety safety professionals. I, I can't agree with you more. I mean, like if you're talking about it being the job itself was is was is is difficult enough. Now you yeah. throw in how the 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 community is responding right like rather than cheering our nurses and our doctors and our our police officers and our firefighters it's almost like they're they're under attack for helping and, yeah. and like so that you 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 induce that that amount of stress and so i mean it's no surprise right now we're seeing it's a 30 percent increase in in addictions right now across the board since since COVID started and, you know, and I'm with you, like, if it's, you know, hey, listen, okay, so, hey, um, you know, I used to make deals, like, uh, you know, maybe I'd make a deal <laughs> with God, hey, God, you know, help me through this, I'll stay sober for two weeks, I'll stay sober for 30 days, I'll stay sober for 45 days. If you find yourself gravitating towards something else, whether it's be, you know, food, or, you know, um, a lot of times, the, the big thing is, is sex, 
right? Yeah. So it is, it's like the pornography or anything that you kind of dig yourself into. If you're finding yourself kind of doing that, just remember that that's just, you're just kind of, you're just bouncing, you know what I mean? You're just kind yeah. of playing, you're just playing a diff little different of a sport at the time, you know, just a little different arena, but you're going to come back to your other arena at any time. So if you're seeing that, Hey, look, this is a, an, another good time to say, Hey, listen, you know, I think, I, you know, let, let me talk to somebody. Let me talk to somebody anonymously. Um, you know, cause that's, that's, that was, that was my, one of my biggest fears. I mean, we're going back around. I wanted to make sure everything I did was anonymous. I didn't want anybody <laughs> to know what I was doing, where I was doing it, how I was doing it. Yeah. And it, and it can be done. Yeah. Well, I bounced from alcohol to diet seven up. I've got like two cases. Over here, so. um, I didn't even know they made diet seven up. Yeah, they do. It's good, man. You know, my, my drink of choice used to be a vodka soda with a lime. So the diet seven up kind of is like, oh, yeah, this is kind of okay. Um, <laughs> yeah. Now I'm going to, now I'm going to reach out to whoever the hell makes diet seven up. I think it's the Coca-Cola company that bought them or whatever and say, it's you know, you, good. you owe me money for an endorsement because That's right. I, I just endorsed diet seven up. Uh, <laughs> but anyhow, be, be that as it may, um, there are, there are a lot of first responders, healthcare workers, that, that are dealing with addiction um, that may or may not even truly realize that they have a problem, they're, they're, they're in it, uh, but family members, spouses, yeah. um, sons, daughters, cousins, mothers, fathers, you truly can see it. And they're being affected by the disease, even though the individual with it doesn't realize it. Are there things that, that family members and close friends can do to, to really help this person? Especially, I mean, they always say, well, yeah, this person has to help him or herself. Um, and I do believe that that's true. But is there anything that the family can do to kind of say, you know, look, you know, we, 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 need, we were in this together type of thing? Yeah, no. Oh, what a great question. I mean, Ken, statistically, right, one in three people are being affected by addictions. Yeah. So the reality is you're it's somebody, it's, it's you, it's somebody in your family, it's your next door neighbor, it's somebody you work with, right? Like, so you're, you're around it. And if you're not aware of it, you're definitely around it. So the, the opportunity is going to present itself for you to be able to kind of um, interject and help, you know? And uh, so, and, and so one, one, one of the first things I think I think of when I think of family members, right? Like, so all of a sudden they find out like their son, their daughter has an addiction. And, and the first thing they do is blame themselves. Mm -hmm. I should have caught it, should have, should have known. Um, and and it just, I just really would encourage you if that's you, don't blame yourself. Right. Um, there is nothing, zero, nobody. If you have what I got, there was zero thing my family could have said to me or done differently to have stopped this from, from happening. Exactly. So, so definitely it is, it is, it is not, it's, it's, it's not you. Um, you know, th this, the second thing is that if your loved one has what I got, look, man, they're walking around in a bunch of shame and can you hit it was angry because they're angry at themselves because they can't stop it and they keep doing some stupid things and, you know, and it's just going to escalate until they get into more and more trouble. It's just the way it is. But remember that they're not, they're not waking up. Like if they've got a problem, they're not waking up going, oh, this is awesome. You know, they're waking, they're waking up pretty terrified and they're, they're, they're hoping there's a way out, you know, and there is, there's definitely a way out and there's a way to have solutions. And um, I'd say is this for the family member, you say, the best thing you have is you have the relationship. Yeah. You have a relationship with that person. So that means that like, 
they love you, even though they might not act it all the way, all the time. I, I talk about something called the compass of shame, and it's, it's really how we respond to shame. And one of those things that we're used to, we're used to fight or flight, you know, but there's avoidance and there's other things. But when people respond in shame because they're feeling bad about what they're doing, they attack you, right? Now, when somebody attacks me, you know, a family member attacks me, I don't think, oh, well, they're feeling shameful, you know? But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're, you're like, son of a bitch, you're, you're going to get in my face for it. <laughs> pretty much, pretty much, right? Uh, but if you can look at it just from the, the sense of your, of, your, of, your, of your loved one, just kind of remembering that they're, atta they're attacking you. And what it really does show too, though, at the same, as, as odd as this may sound, is that you're actually a safe person for them. Right. And which means that you hold a lot of their trust. So you can, by just having some simple conversations with them, you know, like, hey, look, you know, let us go take a look at, a, at an assessment, you know, mm -hmm. and, you know, let, let's begin there. And if you get somebody moving to go have an assessment, win. That's great. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you know, that they're, that they're, that they, they know that they have yeah. a problem, you know, and, and, but by just by, by taking that relationship, and maybe, and if it's your seventh time in, in treatment center, like their kids the seventh time in the treatment center, just remember that you can say, hey, listen, you know, I, I, I can no longer support you dying. Yeah. And that, I can tell you, I can't tell you how many times I've seen that just break the ice of a situation because the person who was suffering knew they were dying. Yeah. You, you kind of called them out on it and, and, and it changes, it changes the game. Yeah, great, great point. Um, and I, I think that that particular statement, for some, um, it kind of takes them aback and and gets them to a point of thinking, like, what do you what do you mean? I ain't dying, you know. I, I'm not dealing with the problem. <laughs> that it, but I think that it's not being a professional myself. I think that it kind of shocks that individual into thinking a, a, in a different way. Yeah. And, 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 and it does. And I think it really, it, 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 it will, I, I like that. I like that word shock. And the, the other, the, the other piece of advice I would give is don't do it to them while they're high or they're drunk. Yeah. Or that's going to get you nowhere. Mm -hmm. The best time to get them is in the, like in the morning or, or, you know, or when they're trying to sleep, like get them like, you know, or they yeah. just woke up because they're feeling in that, 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 that depressed and that shameful state where they're thumbing through their phone, figuring out who they called or, or grabbing receipts. They're doing all that stuff. Yeah. And that's when you get the chance to kind of talk with them because they're going to be more receptive to hear you at that point to be like, okay, they know what's going on. I know what's going on. And if they want to move and they say they want to change, go then. Don't wait. Yeah. Go. Yeah. Ex excellent advice. It reminds me of the uh, episode that we did with James McNeil, and you were talking to me about that a little bit um, before I pressed record because we were all agreeing that that Pam Dauber was very attractive and absolutely, Mindy. absolutely. Um, but maybe I need to get Pam Dauber on the show with the Diet Seven Up. I'll, maybe that'll that'll work. But uh, <laughs> but one of the things that he said was uh, James McNeil said is that, you know, sometimes, you know, you need to piss people off, um, you know, just mm -hmm. to, just to get them yeah. into a state of, of action. Um, yeah. And, uh, it, you know, not necessarily when they're high or drunk or, you right. know, in, in a, in a, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Not 
proper state. Um, yeah. But when when they are sober, when they when they are somewhat clear headed, that that may make a lot of sense. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. It's the best time to do it. And um, you know, and and I say this too is that like. I'd be remiss if I don't say this, but you know, sometimes it's, it's our coworker that we're working with and that, and that we have a problem with, or, or you know that there's a problem and you don't know what to say. And I think one of the best things you can ever say to them is, Hey, listen, you know, I can say, yeah, hey Ken, listen, man, I love working with you. You're awesome. You're right on spot. However, when you're, you know, when you're out partying, like, I just, I I can't work with you like that anymore. We're going to have to figure something out. You know, and that could be going out somewhere or doing whatever. Um, Because that sometimes nobody really realizes that. I mean, I remember partying with friends. And, uh, you know, it was one of my roommates. Boy, I mean, this was when I was, you know, I was... Where, you know, I was living in the house with a couple guys and one of them was coming back from visiting his girlfriend, like up in Boston and a buddy of mine, I was hanging out. I was like, Oh man, we got to go grab some, you know, booze, you know, he's coming home. And he looked at me and he's like, you know, he really doesn't like it when you drink cause you get so out of yeah. control. And I was like, what? I was like, we drink every <laughs> night, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so, so, um, it took somebody else to tell me that, Yeah. you know, where it kind of stuck in me and it was like, and I'll never forget that conversation. So, you know, and if, and, and that's it. It's like when we have these relationships, remember we're, we're really meeting them and in, 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 in the only other word I can really think for is love. Like yeah. we're, we're, we're not saying this thing, like telling them that they're an asshole and that we're never, ever going right. to, you know, you can't do anything. And this is what, but what we're saying is that, Hey, look, I, I love, you know, I love working with you, mm-hmm. man. I, I know when you're on point, you got my back and I have no problems rolling on out with you. I'm confident. However, when I know you come in hung, hungover, now all of a so sudden, the, you know, not, not, yeah. And, um, and, 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 and they, that'll go a long way. That'll really speak to the heart of a lot of people. Yeah. Joe, great, great advice. I can talk to you for another hour. Um, but I know we both got other stuff to do, but I always reserve the right to bring you back. Uh, awesome. But, but great great insight um for those folks that could really use your help and your assistance uh how can they best find you in fact i know you you've got a book out there that can help a lot of people too yeah absolutely um first of all i'll say you can go to joseph b is in bravo devlin.com that's my website so you can contact me you can have my phone number email me um i also wrote a book um it's called a step out of darkness uh, and it's how to help someone enter addiction treatment and walk with them through recovery. I literally wrote it. I, I poured everything I had into it was leveling the playing field for families so that they would know how to help uh, somebody get into, um, t- to get into treatment. So it's kind of, it's, it's kind of a step-by-step guide and then what to do with them after they go to treatment. That's even more important sometimes than just getting them into treatment. That's on Amazon. Cover looks like this, I think, if we can see it. For those of you that aren't, watch, that aren't watching the video version but listening to the audio version, uh, the, the, co- the cover is nice. So, you know, but if you look up Joseph B. Devlin on Amazon, I have a feeling you're going to find it. <laughs> yeah, you, 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 you would definitely find it. Um, and also what I, what I want to do is I want to put it out for any of your listeners. Like, you know, after, after hearing this, if they hear this within 48 hours after it airs, I'm happy to send them a copy of the book for free. Awesome. I, I will send them a copy of that. Um, my, my sole intention for this book, again, is to helping people understand 
how to help people get into treatment and walk with them through recovery. I think it's, it, it's, um, I can't tell you how many times I have to deal with how many times I speak with a family member who's just crushed and they don't know what to do. So. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Very, very kind of you and, and great insight. I have enjoyed every minute talking to you, Joe. Thank you so much for being on the show. All right. Thanks, Ken. Hey, listen, I hope you have a great day. I look forward to coming back. <laughs> I'm looking forward to having you back. If for no other reason, I want to have another conversation with you. But thank you again. It's been my pleasure. And thank you to all of you that have either watched or listened to this latest episode of Public Safety Talk Radio. And we will be back with you in about a week with another great guest. Public Safety Talk Radio was produced by the POCUA. POCUA is a consortium of financial institutions serving law enforcement as well as other first responders and public safety professionals. To learn more about our association and to find one of our credit unions or service providers near you, go to www.policecreditunions.com. And always remember, if you aren't working with one of our POCUA credit unions, you're just banking with an institution that just so happens to serve first responders. As a public safety professional, you and your family deserve better. Find a POCUA credit union today.